Chapter 4 of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter 4 The Closed Door. Rather less than five minutes later, a taxicab drew up in Old Bond Street, and from it Quentin Gray leapt out impetuously and ran in at the doorway leading to Kazma's stairs. So hurried was his progress that he collided violently with a little man who, carrying himself with a pronounced stoop, was slinking furtively out. The little man reeled at the impact and almost fell, but, "'Hang it all!' cried Gray irritably. "'Why the devil don't you look where you're going?' He glared angrily into the face of the other. It was a peculiar and rememberable face, notable because of a long, sharp, hooked nose and very little foxy brown eyes a sly face to which a small fair moustache only added insignificance it was crowned by a wide-brimmed bowler hat which the man wore pressed down upon his ears like a jew peddler why cried gray this is the second time to-night you've jostled me he thought he'd recognized the man for the same who had been following himself mrs irvin and sir lucian pine along old bond street a smile intended to be propitiatory appeared upon the pale face no excuse me sir don't deny it said gray angrily if i had the time i should give you in charge as a suspicious loiterer calling to the cabman to wait he ran up the stairs to the second floor landing before the painted door bearing the name of kazma he halted and as the door did not open stamped impatiently but with no better result at that since there was neither bell nor knocker he raised his fist and banged loudly no one responded to the summons hi there he shouted open the door pine rita again he banged and yet again then he paused listening his ear pressed to the panel he could detect no sound of movement within fists clenched he stood staring at the closed door and his fresh color slowly deserted him and left him pale damn him he muttered savagely damn him he has fooled me passionate and self-willed he was shaken by a storm of murderous anger that pine had planned this trick with rita irvin's consent he did not doubt and his passive dislike of the man became active hatred of the woman he dared not think he had for long looked upon sir lucian in the light of a rival and the irregularity of his own infatuation for another's wife in no degree lessened his resentment again he pressed his ear to the door and listened intently perhaps they were hiding within perhaps this charlatan casma was an accomplice in the pay of sir lucian perhaps this was a secret place of rendezvous to the manifest absurdity of such a conjecture he was blind in his anger but that he was helpless befooled he recognized and with a final muttered imprecation he turned and slowly descended the stair a lingering hope was dispelled when looking right and left along bond street he failed to perceive the missing pair the cabman glanced at him interrogatively i shall not require you said gray and gave the man half a crown busy with his poisonous conjectures he remained all unaware of the presence of a furtive stooping figure which lurked behind the railings of the arcade at this point linking old bond street to abramel street nor had the stooping stranger any wish to attract gray's attention most of the shops in the narrow lane were already closed although the florists at the corner remained open 
but of the shadow which lay along the greater part of the arcade this alert watcher took every advantage from the recess formed by a shop door he peered out at gray where the light of a street lamp fell upon him studying his face his movements with unrelaxing vigilance gray following some moments of indecision strode off towards piccadilly the little man came out cautiously from his hiding-place and looked after him out of a dark porch ten paces along bond street appeared a burly figure to fall into step a few yards behind gray the little man licked his lips appreciatively and returned to the doorway below the premises of Casma. reaching piccadilly gray stood for a time on the corner indifferent to the jostling of passers-by finally he crossed walked along to prince's restaurant and entered the lobby he glanced at his wristwatch it registered the hour of seven twenty-five he cancelled his order for a table and was standing staring moodily towards the entrance when the doors swung open and a man entered who stepped straight up to him hand extended and glad to see you gray he said what's the trouble quentin gray stared as if incredulous at the speaker and it was with an unmistakable note of welcome in his voice that he replied seaton seaton pasha the frown disappeared from gray's forehead and he gripped the other's hand in hearty greeting but stick to plain seaton said the newcomer glancing rapidly about him ottoman titles are not fashionable the speaker was a man of arresting personality above medium height well but leanly built the face of seaton pasha was burned to a deeper shade than england's wintry sun is capable of producing he wore a close-trimmed beard and moustache and the bronze on his cheeks enhanced the brightness of his gray eyes and rendered very noticeable a slight frosting of the dark hair above his temples he had the indescribable air of a sure man a sound man to have beside one in a tight place and looking into the rather grim face quentin gray felt suddenly ashamed of himself from seaton pasha he knew that he could keep nothing back he knew that presently he should find himself telling this quiet brown-skinned man the whole story of his humiliation and he knew that seaton would not spare his feelings my dear fellow he said you must pardon me if i sometimes fail to respect your wishes in this matter when i left the east the name of seaton pasha was on everybody's tongue but are you alone i am i only arrived in london to-night and in england this morning were you thinking of dining here no i saw you through the doorway as i was passing but this will do as well as another place i gather that you are disengaged perhaps you will dine with me splendid cried gray wait a moment perhaps my table hasn't gone he ran off in his boyish impetuous fashion and seaton watched him smiling quietly the table proved to be available and ere long the two were discussing an excellent dinner gray lost much of his irritability and began to talk coherently upon topics of general interest presently following an interval during which he had been covertly watching his companion do you know seaton he said you are the one man in london whose company i could have tolerated to-night my arrival was particularly opportune your arrivals are always particularly opportune gray stared at seaton with an expression of puzzled admiration i don't think i shall ever understand your turning up immediately before the senussi raid in egypt do you remember i was with the armored cars i remember perfectly then you vanished in the same mysterious fashion and the c o was a sphinx on the subject i next saw you strolling out of the gate at baghdad 
how the devil you'd got to Baghdad, considering that you hadn't come with us, and that you weren't with the cavalry, heaven only knows. No, said Seaton judiciously, gazing through his uplifted wine-glass. When one comes to consider the matter without prejudice, it is certainly odd. But do I know the lady to whose non-appearance I owe the pleasure of your company to-night? Quentin Gray stared at him blankly. Really, Seaton, you amaze me. Did I say that I had an appointment with a lady? My dear Gray, when I see a man standing, biting his nails, and glaring out into Piccadilly from a restaurant entrance, I ask myself a question. When I learn that he has just cancelled an order for a table for two, I answer it. Gray laughed. You always make me feel so infernally young, Seaton. Good. Yes, it's good to feel young, but bad to feel a young fool. And that's what I feel, and what I am. Listen, leaning across the table so that the light of the shaded lamp fell fully upon his flushed, eager face, Gray, not without embarrassment, told his companion of the dirty trick, so he phrased it, which Sir Lucian Pine had played upon him. In conclusion, what would you do, Seaton? he asked. Seaton sat regarding him in silence with a cool, calculating stare, which some men had termed insolent, absently tapping his teeth with the gold rim of a monocle, which he carried but apparently never used for any other purpose. And it was at about this time that a long, low car passed near the door of the restaurant, crossing the traffic stream of Piccadilly to draw up at the corner of Old Bond Street. From the car, Monty Irvin alighted, and telling the man to wait, set out on foot. Ten paces along Bond Street he encountered a small, stooping figure, which became detached from the shadows of a shop door. The light of a street lamp shone down upon the sharp, hooked nose and into the cunning little brown eyes of Brisley of Spinker's detective agency. Monty Irvin started. Ah, Brisley, he said. I was looking for you. Are they still there? Mm, probably, sir, Brisley licked his lips. My colleague Gunn reports no one came out whilst I was away phoning. But the whole thing seems preposterous. Are there no other offices in the block where they might be? I personally saw Mr. Gray, Sir Lucian Pine, and the lady go into Casma's. At that time, roughly ten to seven, all the other offices had been closed approximately one hour. There is absolutely no possibility that they might have come out unseen by you? None, sir. I should not have troubled a client if in doubt. Here's Gunn. Old Bond Street now was darkened and deserted. The yellow mist had turned to a fine rain, and Gunn, his hands thrust in his pockets, was sheltering under the porch of the arcade. Gunn possessed a purple complexion, which attained to full vigor of coloring in the nasal region. His mustache of dirty gray was stained brown in the center, as if by frequent potations of stout, and his bulky figure was artificially enlarged by the presence of two overcoats, the outer of which was a waterproof, and the inner a blue garment appreciably longer both in sleeve and skirt than the former, the effect produced was one of great novelty. Gunn touched the brim of his soft felt hat, which he wore turned down all round, apparently in imitation of a flower-pot. "'All snug, sir,' he said, hoarsely and confidentially, bending forward and breathing the words into Irvin's ear. "'Snug as a bee in a hive. You're as good as a bachelor again.' Monty Irvin mentally recoiled. "'Lead the way to the door of this place,' he said tersely. "'Yes, sir. By the way, sir, be careful of the step there. You may remark that the outer door is not yet closed. I am informed upon reliable authority 
as the last to go locks the door hence we perceive that the last has not yet gone it is likewise opened by the first to come of a morning here we are sir door on the right the landing was in darkness but as gunn spoke he directed the ray of a pocket lamp upon a bronze plate bearing the name casma he rested one hand upon his hip all snug he repeated as snug as an eel in mud the decree nisi is yours sir as an alderman of the city of london and a justice of the peace you are entitled to call a police officer hold your tongue rapped Irvin. you've been drinking and i place no reliance whatever in your evidence i do not believe that my wife or any one else but ourselves is upon these premises the watery eyes of the insulted man protruded unnaturally drinkin he whispered drink but indignation now deprived gun of speech and excuse me sir interrupted the nasal voice of brisley but i can absolutely answer for gun reputation of the agency at stake worked with us for three years parties undoubtedly on the premises as reported drink whispered gun i shall be glad said monty irvin and his voice shook emotionally if you will lend me your pocket lamp i am naturally upset will you kindly both go downstairs i will call if i want you the two men obeyed gun muttering hoarsely to brisley and monty irvin was left standing on the landing the lamp in his hand he waited until he knew from the sound of their footsteps that the pair had regained the street then resting his arm against the closed door and pressing his forehead to the damp sleeve of his coat he stood a while the lamp which he held limply shining down upon the floor his lips moved and almost inaudibly he murmured his wife's name end of chapter 4 recorded by olivia